what's better than two professionals talking Flyers hockey? Two amateurs. This is Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now put the kids to bed and crank it up. Podcast partner of phillyisflyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. I am your host, Mark Giannone. Joined, as always, by the president of Flyers Twitter, my partner in crime from way down in the nation's capital, Mr. Dan Silver. Dan, what's up? Not much, man. We're now uh, about nine days away from from opening day in Prague. So it's, uh, it's I'm fired up. Let's get it going. I'm excited for this new NHL Network show on the Flyers, too. There's, there's a lot of good stuff going on right now. This is on a Wednesday that we're recording this. So Tuesday, uh, Nicholas Alday Kubel got waived by the Flyers and actually made it through, did not get claimed. And I saw that you were not too happy about that. So to this point, what do you, what are you thinking? What are you thinking as far as the cuts they've made and the guys really that are left at this point? Yeah, I mean, this is traditionally the part, even as a Flyers fan, where we get angry at our coaches and our GMs because – their line combination stink, and they're putting people on waivers that we don't want them to put on waivers. And they're doing all kinds of things to make us angry. And then, sure enough, even though Ron Hextall and Dave Hextall are gone, they're doing it. So, yeah, you know, the, the, the one that kind of got me riled up, and I should have seen it coming, was I like Nicholas Albay Kubel. He's a guy that the Flyers drafted in the second round. He's a two time 38 goal scorer in the Canadian Juniors. He comes up. He struggles in his first year in the AHL, which a lot of guys do. But then as a 21-year-old, he has an absolutely terrific AHL season. He's sixth in the entire AHL in even strength points. Last year, he took a little bit of a step back. But I kind of blame the Flyers a little bit. They called him up for a nine-game stretch, and Dave Haxtell didn't really give him a chance. He he buried him. Uh, he played him five minutes a game. I think it probably impacted his confidence a little bit. But back this year in... Preseason. I thought that Albie Kubel was very good in the games. He's a straight-line player. Uh, he's got a good shot. He's got a little bit of sniper in him. He'd be the ideal player on the fourth line for the Flyers because he's got a lot of edge. He was suspended like two or three times last year in the AHL. And he's just a guy that he's only 23 years old, and I think he's got a lot of upside. The problem is that with him and with Sam Moran, if they want to send him down to the AHL, they've got to clear waivers, which means that any other team in the NHL has a chance to claim him. That's what the Flyers tried to do with Danik Martell. Uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, where they tried to get him through waivers and the Lightning claimed him. So the Flyers put Albi Kubel on waivers. To me, he's the perfect guy to open up the season on the fourth line. He's not going to hurt you defensively. He can chip in a little bit of offense, and he hits, he hits people. Fortunately, he wasn't claimed. But this goes back to, for me, something that you know Charlie O'Connor was writing about in some of his articles. He's a terrific Flyers columnist. Uh, for the athletic all summer long he was kind of saying that it didn't seem like Vino and Fletcher really thought that highly of Abby Cabell because they weren't mentioning him a whole lot in their quotes and that kind of that kind of bared out with the fact that they they waived him and so while I'm happy he didn't get claimed by another team I still think that it's fairly evident that he doesn't really have much of a future on the Flyers at this point because there are a lot of other really good young forwards who will get to coming up but, you know, that, that was – cutting Albie Kubel was, was the one component that I really didn't like. It's funny you mentioned uh, Danik Martell because when I saw the, that they waived Albie Kubel, that was the first thing that I thought of. 
waived was, you know, when Danik Martell got waived, it was kind of the same reaction, you know, but it was almost the same situation. It was a guy that was just kind of on the fringe or within the organization, and they didn't really have a clear-cut plan for him, so, you know, they waived him, and I guess when, at this point in the in the offseason and training camp, when you waive these guys, you're kind of hoping that other teams have so many other things going on with, you know, with guys that they're looking at on their own rosters that the people that are on the waivers might slip through and a guy that, that another team has in-house, they want to get another look at before they cut ties with him and bring somebody else in. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. And we talked about it last week. This team needs a sense of toughness about them. Um, We were talking about Chris Stewart, who is still here and I don't know what's going to happen with him, but the more that time goes on, the more it kind of seems like he, the better it's chance that it seems like he's going to be here uh, when the Flyers open it up next Friday. And, you know, for no other reason, he's not going to bring anything skill-wise to the table. He's just, that's the guy that you bring in. It's the veteran guy. It's the toughness guy. And that's what the Flyers need. Every team needs that because I think you said last week, right now, if the roster breaks out, kind of as we see it, if Chris Stewart doesn't make it, or if one of these guys, like even Carson Twarenski, who had a good game the other night against the Bruins, if one of these guys that has this bit of edge to their game doesn't make it, really, the only, and I hate to use this term because it's so cliche, but really the only sandpaper type guy you have is uh, Travis Konechny, who plays, you know, who's a top six guy for you, plays a lot of the time on the top line, and he's like the smallest guy you have on the roster, so you need somebody that's going to keep other teams honest. It's going to keep the Tom Wilsons of the world, the Brad Marchands of the world, kind of in check when they're on the ice so they're not taking the cheap shots at your guy without any repercussions coming back at them. Yeah, I mean, so let's take a look at what the Flyers are looking at now because they were a couple other notable cuts. They sent Germán Rupsov and Mikhail Vorobiev both down. People were speculating that those guys could be players to open up the season. And the fact that Nolan Patrick is still injured, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but he's he's still out. It doesn't look like he's going to make the trip to Prague. So what the Flyers are looking at right now is you're looking at a top line of Giroux, Couturier, and Konechny. A second line of either JBR or Lindblom with Hayes and Voracek. And then things start to get a little bit murky because Nolan Patrick was supposed to be the third line center. Right now, it certainly looks like the third-line center to open the season is either going to be Scott Lawton or Morgan Frost. Frost is injured right now. He's got a nagging groin injury, but he's looked really good in the preseason games that he's been in. So third-line center, you're probably looking at Frost or Lawton. I will go ahead and say that if Frost is healthy, it's going to be Frost as the 3C and Lawton as the 4C. If Frost is not healthy, you're probably looking at Lawton as the 3C and Connor Butterman as the 4C. And you have Connor Bunneman and Carson Torinsky are two guys that I often confuse with one another. They're both pretty good young players who came out of the Canadian Junior Leagues. Torinsky's got a better shot. He plays with a little bit more of a physical edge. Bunneman's a better skater. He's quicker. He really had a, a, a under-the-radar, terrific first AHL season last year. So but both those guys, I have no doubt that Carson Torinsky and Connor Bunneman are both going to be good. NHL bottom six forwards at some point in their careers. I don't know if they're ready yet, but based on preseason, it looks like they might be. But so anyway, you're looking at a third line of, let's say, you know, Lindblom 
and if Frost is healthy, maybe Lindblom, Frost, and Farabee. I mean, I think at this point it's a pretty safe bet that Joel Farabee's going to make the team. And then the fourth line would be something like, you know, Raffle, Lawton, and Torinsky or Stewart. So there's a lot of moving variables. Uh, also, Pitlick, who's been injured, looks like he's coming back soon. So the variables are that you've got three injured forwards in Patrick, Frost, and Pitlick. And then guys like Torensky, Bunneman, Stewart, who are on the fringes of making the team. So a lot of that's going to have to be figured out over the next few weeks. From the defense standpoint, things are also getting interesting. Because it was kind of, everyone assumed that Phil Myers was going to be sort of a slam dunk in the starting lineup for opening night. He hasn't been great in the preseason so far. He's still been much better than Robert Haig. However, it looks like, based on today's defense pairings in practice, which were Provorov and Sanai, Gostas and Braun, Haig and Niskanen, and then Morant and Myers, a lot of people were reading into that that maybe that means that Haig has leapfrogged Myers to be in the starting lineup. And that's what uh, Charlie O'Connor had kind of insinuated today. And again, I really trust what he's saying because he's around the team all the time. So that's another one to kind of follow is Myers might have played himself out of the starting lineup, but heck, they could even send him down to the Phantoms because he doesn't have to clear waivers. So that's kind of the, the interesting battles are, you know, the, the bottom two lines and then seeing what happens between Myers and Hay. So as I'm looking at the schedule right now, there's two preseason games left. Um, one of them's tomorrow at 7 o'clock, and then they go to Europe, and they're playing on Monday against, I don't I don't know, I guess some Lausanne? I don't even know how to pronounce La, that. I think it's Lausanne. Lausanne. It's in Switzerland at okay. the Guadal Arena. And yes. yeah, they're, they're playing a, uh, a Swiss team on the 30th. Right. So, in the preseason. So they have two games left to really evaluate where they're going to go with this. And then everything opens up for real next Friday at, uh, on the, the 4th at 2 p.m., which I have an issue with, but that's for a separate time. Um, so really you don't have much game time left to really see what you have. So that's why these, um, as far as I see, that's why these practice lines and these practice defensive pairings are so telling because that's where they're really getting, you know, with two games left, they are really going to get a look at these guys in practice and what they see every day. Um, you know, and we kind of talked about going into the season with having, um, seven defensemen, which is, or, yeah, we did say that, but I mean, we talked about before Haig. I mean, at this point, for us anyway, Haig has always been kind of the odd man out. We both want to see what Moran has. We both like what he has, and we both love Myers. But it's just a matter of finding a trade partner with Haig or for him. Let me go back to the to the centers real quick because you mentioned Frost, and you said if he's healthy, you see him starting at that three C. So, I mean, I have to imagine that they know. Obviously, they're never they're never going to tell us because they never do. But they know what's going on with Nolan Patrick's injury, how serious it is, and how long this is really going to keep him out. If it's something that's a week or two, do you see them bringing Frost in and starting the season with the team, or if they know it's only a week or two, do they just kind of go with almost what they had today with Walton as your three C and a guy like Bonaman as your four C, and then just ride it out until until uh, Patrick is ready? 
I think that this team getting off to a good start is absolutely paramount in the eyes of Chuck Fletcher and Alain Vigno. So I think that they are going to do whatever they can to put the best possible lineup on the ice, which is why I think that if Morgan Frost is healthy and Nolan Patrick is not, I still think that they'll probably end up going with Frost as the 3C and Lawton as the 4C, or they could go with Lawton as the 3C and Frost as the 4C. But I just think that when you're looking at Lawton and Frost versus Lawton and Bunneman, that you're going to want to go with Morgan Frost. I mean, he, he really has impressed so far during this preseason. He's been heavy on the puck, which I've found to be very impressive. Him and Joel Farabee could have scored so many goals this preseason, and they just have gotten a little snake bit and haven't scored yet. But both those guys have been super impressive. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that if Frost is fully healthy, I think it's a no-brainer to go with him and Lawton over Lawton and Bunneman. And, you know, the other option, which they keep mentioning, is they could put Claude Giroux back at center. I think they really don't want to do that. But Fletcher keeps mentioning it. So it's at least something to kind of keep your eye open for. Yeah, again, I wonder if that's... I mean, I, I kind of feel like the whole thing with this roster, and that's why this Patrick injury... I mean, there's no good time for an injury, really. But when his came out, and kind of where we're at now, because I don't know if the Flyers going into when training camp started, they may have known maybe how long this injury could have gone. They keep, they've been saying week to week pretty much since preseason started. And now we're, you know, a week and a half away from the season starting. They're talking about, there's reports out there that he's not even going to make the trip to Europe and, and to Prague, obviously. So that means that he's obvious. I mean, at this point, we can all pretty much assume he's not starting the season you know, healthy, and he's going to be injured. It's just a matter of how long. If they're thinking about putting Giroux at center, I have to imagine that, again, that's not something that they're prepared to do if this injury goes, if they think he's going to miss the first month of the season. I can't imagine they're going to put Giroux there that long. If we're talking a week and, you know, Frost still isn't healthy and they don't really like what they're seeing from some of the other guys, maybe. But, yeah, I mean, you're and we've been saying, everyone's been saying, and you like so far what... Elaine Vigneault and Chuck Fletcher have been saying, Elaine Vigneault, going into all the roster cuts and the expedited roster cuts that they've made, it's because he said that starting the season slow is unacceptable for this team. They have to start fast. They have to get the valuable points at the beginning of the season that they haven't been able to before. So when you're fighting for a playoff spot later in the season, you're not you know, thinking about missed opportunities. He's not going to accept them just coming out and dragging their feet to start this season. So, yeah, I agree with you. If they think Morgan Frost is the best possible option, then he's probably going to be out there. But I don't think they want to mix mess up the chemistry of the top six more than they have to. And putting Drew there for at center for a prolonged period of time, I think, would do just that. Yeah, I really don't think that they're going to put Drew at center. I just, I, I think it's something that they, they're really Drew has said he's much more comfortable on wing these days. I think that they realize that. So I, I don't think that he's going to end up at center, but they do keep mentioning it, so it's just worth worth noting. Right. You know, this Nolan Patrick situation is just... Yeah, it's I mean, looming, you know, and it's not... It's Here's the thing. You know, when they took... Obviously, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and I saw somebody say on Twitter over uh, this past week that you know, if you look at the top five of that draft class, you know, Nolan Patrick's probably the worst of the top five. At the, and, you know, at the time, 
it was a two-player draft. It was Nico Heashier and it was Nolan Patrick. And it was just a matter of the Flyers were going to take whoever the Devils did. And they got Nolan Patrick. And he's been snake-bitten with injuries pretty much his whole career to this point. His rookie season, he didn't have really a full training camp because he was injured. And then last season, he had the full training camp but didn't progress the way we wanted him to. And now he's been out this entire preseason just skating on his own, going to meetings and things like that. And, you know, you can't help. And even last season, he had he had his injury problems during the season. So you can, at this point, you can't ignore it anymore. You can't help but just say that this guy is injury prone. He has problems staying healthy. And the Flyers, you know, they're coming up on a season or an offseason next, next summer where they have to decide what they want to do with him, if they're going to commit to him long term or if they're going to dangle him out there and see if somebody else wants to take uh, a flyer on this kid. Yeah, you know, I I was just actually, I was going back looking at an article I wrote on philliesflyer.com. I wrote this article May 7th, 2017, so over two years ago, and it was before the NHL draft, and it was Nolan titled Nolan Patrick's Injury History, How Concerned Should the Flyers Be? And one of my lines, I basically compared him to a bunch of other guys who were taken, I think, in the top 10 who had similar injury histories. And Patrick almost came with an unprecedented level of injury risk, in my opinion, for a pick that high, number two, ever in the NHL draft. And look, most of the injuries he's had have still been mainly of the minor variety. This injury, it's like the most frustrating thing has been, hey, Flyers, just tell us what is going on. Like, it's been this mysterious upper body injury that has kept him out of any kind of contract, contact drills or practices. We've seen him on the ice buzzing around cones, firing top shelf wrist shots, yet he's got an upper body injury. So what is it? I had a fairly high ranking member of the Flyers reporting community tell me, privately that he knows what it is but he can't say what it is i have to think that they are going to i i I really do think that in the next few days we're going to find out what's going on with nolan patrick but it's i mean i joke today you know two years ago after the flyers drafted him he had to sit out a few practices because he had a facial infection like there's i maybe he's got an alien living inside of him i don't know (laughs) i don't know literally i don't know what's going on with this guy and the Flyers are going to have to come out and say what it is. Is it a shoulder impingement that might need surgery? Is it a concussion? Probably not. But what is what is going on with him? And, you know, they're probably going to have to come out and kind of tell people pretty soon is my guess. But it's very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about um, just not even just me and you, just fans in general and things like that, this kind of changing of the guard the Flyers have gone through as far as, you know, there's no – high-ranking member of the Flyers organization right now that has anything to do with the day-to-day operations of this hockey team that has ever had anything to do with the Flyers before. Never coached, never played, never, you know, general manager or anything like that. And that happened once Paul Holmgren kind of stepped aside, and now he's, you know, the the best retirement plan in sports that anybody could get, and that's just a senior advisor, which just means, you know, hang around the team, do nothing. Um, so you think, you would think that with this cha- with this changing of the guards that they've gone through, that they'd maybe be a little bit more transparent with what's going on with injuries, and they have it. And my theory was that he had a concussion because he's had a history with them, and just based on things that Elaine Vino has said and the videos that they're putting out and things like that, 
well, not they putting out, but just the uh, the writers that are there. And you kind of, you know, you kind of steered me away from that with some of the stuff you said last week. But I, you got to think at this point that they're not going to tell. I think the, what this is, if it's, you know, a shoulder, if it's a wrist, if it's, you know, something muscular, vascular, whatever. I think the Flyers are just, you know, waiting it out to see if he's going to need surgery or not. And that's probably when we'll find out if if they come to the conclusion that, you know, in the next week or two, he gets better and they don't need surgery, then they'll probably put a timeline on it and they'll stop saying week to week. But if it comes out, you know, in the next four or five days that, yeah, this thing's probably not going to get better. It's only getting worse or it's just pretty much staying the same. Surgery now is the best option so he doesn't deal with this all season. Then we're going to find out. So I think whatever this is, whatever phantom injury that Nolan Patrick has, the only way we're going to find out about it is when the Flyers medical staff, which has been suspect in the past on other injuries that we've seen, but when they decide that it's a yes, it's a go or a no-go on surgery, that's when we're going to find out. And, you know, as of right now, and obviously Elaine Vino, Chuck Fletcher, no, so they're factoring that into their decisions with the roster, but, you know, when we're talking about importance of starting fast, you need, you know, you hate to see this, you'd hate to see them start fast and then have to, you know, maybe a month or two from now, Nolan Patrick comes in and he slows the guys around him down because he has had no time to practice and get up to speed with what's been going on. You know, it's very strange because they've been very forthcoming about other injuries. I mean, right, right. after Morgan Frost was injured, they said Morgan Frost's injury is a groin strain. So it's not like they haven't been upfront about some of these injuries. Sometimes they just say upper body or lower body, but we've been getting more explanation and detail on some of these injuries. So that's why this one is just very strange to me. There's there's got to be something very strange going on, or it's like one of those situations where at the beginning they didn't say what it was, and now it's kind of like one of those things where some secret that's actually not a big secret becomes a huge secret because every day that you don't tell somebody what it is, there's like more of this stigma that builds up around actually telling people what it is. But Nolan Patrick's had problems with the beginning of the season, every single level he's played at. He's gotten into the season slowly, and going back to juniors, he really comes on in the second half of the season. And if this thing prevents him from playing the first few months, I mean, the question is, what you know, when he comes back, he's going to be rusty. When are we actually going to be looking at a full-strength Nolan Patrick? And, and you know, that's where – that is where it comes in fairly handy that you've got a guy like Morgan Frost because I think he – can be a legitimate NHL third line center this season. And if he's getting a little bit tired down the stretch or whatever, then Scott Lawton maybe takes some more reps as the third line center because he's also a capable NHL third line center. So it's not a complete disaster if Patrick's out just because we've got guys like Morgan Frost and maybe Germán Rupsov will do really well down in, with the Phantoms and he'll be able to come back up or maybe Vorobiev. So there are some other options. But it's just not ideal to have this guy you spend a number two pick on just not out there. You're asking me, best case scenario for the Flyers with the contract situation with him looming this summer is let's say he comes back in two months. Let's say he comes back in like mid-February and, you know, it takes him about another month to get going. So he doesn't really get going until around December. Best case scenario, given that timeline, is that he gets hot around Christmas, which is, you know, it's it's always 
the cutoff of if a team's not in the playoff picture by Christmas, then they're probably, you know, the, the chances of them making the playoffs are slim. So let's give Christmas. If he's up to speed and ready to go by Christmas, best case scenario for the Flyers is he plays great from Christmas until the trade deadline, and then they see who wants him. Because right now, I do not feel comfortable with the Flyers committing long-term, even if long-term is just a bridge three-year deal with Nolan Patrick, because I haven't liked what I've seen out of him on the ice. I haven't liked what I've seen out of him just personality-wise. He just always seems like he's he's not totally with whatever's going on. He just kind of seems like he's very... And, like, being introverted is one thing, but it, seem, it to me, when I look at him, when I hear him talk, it's like he's introverted to the point where he doesn't care. And I can't trust this guy's injury history, especially when it's not like it's just been one thing that's been nagging him and popping back up. It's been different injuries from the time the Flyers have drafted him, and even before they drafted him, when he was in juniors, up until this point. So I would not want to commit long-term, big NH, not and big as in, you know, not entry-level money to a guy that I can't rely on. Yeah, look, I don't make a habit out of forming judgments about the personalities of most people that I've met after I've known them for a long time. I've got friends that I consider to be some of my best friends that I still think that I don't completely understand their personality. So I've never met Nolan Patrick, so I would never pretend to, you know, know what he's like and his personality. But I will say that I've heard from some people around the team that for such a young player, he's a little bit on the surprisingly arrogant side. Now, again, perhaps those people are misjudging what they're seeing from him. But that is the vibe that I also get from kind of seeing how he interacts with people. And, you know, the strange thing is that when the Flyers drafted him and you're just kind of learning about him and his personality, his was I think his his dad is was kind of like a um, the same thing, kind of like a little bit out there, a little bit of a space cadet, and <laughs> you know it's uh, I don't know I, I I've always had this feeling that like Nolan Patrick might be one of these guys who just either doesn't meet his potential or like surprises all of us by retiring before the age of like twenty four, and that's probably a completely irrational opinion. But I think I've said that on this show before. It's obviously it's probably not going to happen. But you just don't get this. You get the sense that Joel Farabee lives, eats, and breathes hockey. Everything that Joel Farabee does is geared towards hockey. The same thing with Carter Hart. I just don't get that sense with Nolan Patrick. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I, if you ask me right now who's going to have more points in their NHL career, Morgan Frost or Nolan Patrick, I would 100% without a doubt say Morgan Frost. Yeah. So when you're talking about and arrogant was the word I was looking for, but couldn't pull it, so I'm glad you did. Um, I just want, real quick, when you're talking about these guys that, like you say, Joel Farabee, I mean, he stayed in the area all offseason to work, to train, and that's great. That's what you want in your young player. You remember the college quarterback, Todd Marinovich? He was yes. big. Red-headed. Yeah, stoner. played for USC. Yeah. Or, yeah, one of the Southern Cal teams. Well, if you watch the 30 for 30 on him, he was pushed so hard by his dad to the point where he didn't care about football anymore. He played it just because he was good at it. And I feel like, you know, that's kind of what you see in Nolan Patrick. He doesn't really care about the game. He doesn't want to put the work in. He just knows he's naturally good at it. So why not, you know, collect the paycheck? I don't, 
look, whatever it is with him, and you are a better person than me because you don't judge people, but I judge people within a split second of seeing them on TV or meeting them. And I have made a judgment on Nolan Patrick. There's something about him that doesn't rub me the right way. And like I said, I do not feel totally comfortable with committing to him long term. So for me, if he gets hot, like we've seen him do last year, I I would if I'm Chuck Fletcher, I'm just waiting for his draft for his trade stock to hit to hit a peak and then cut ties and just kind of move on from him and and you know, save the money that you're going to spend on him and use it elsewhere. So that that's to me that's the best plan there. We'll see how that breaks out. But I wanted to get into this head coach. If you want to talk polar opposite from what Dave Hackstall was, I don't know if there's anybody more opposite from Dave Hackstall than Elaine Vigneault. And again, anything that the Flyers ever do is met with great debate on Twitter between the fans. And when Vigneault got hired, it was there was a group of people saying that he's never won anything and, you know, it, he's not the guy. And then there's the other side, which I think the side that me and uh, you and I were both on was he's never won anything, but he's had a lot of success. He's been to the cup finals twice. He's had president's trophy winning teams. So this is a guy that has been there, done that, just hasn't gotten over the hump. And I mean, that's pretty much what the Flyers have been as an organization since the 70s. They've been there, done that, just haven't been able to get over the hump. Dan, I don't think that Elaine Vigneault has said one thing since the time he's got hired till this second that I have not liked and hasn't made me feel good about him leading this team. And this special that's starting tonight, the Behind the Glass with the NHL Network that's covering the Flyers, and it's great that the Flyers got chose for this or chosen for this above all the other historic teams, the Canadians, the Red Wings, the Blackhawks, the Flyers got chosen, and that's great. I haven't seen every clip that I've seen tells me that Elaine Vigneault is as committed to winning a Stanley Cup with the Flyers as anybody that has worked for this team in my lifetime, and that is 27 years. I am fully behind him, and I love what he's been doing so far this preseason, getting this team ready for the start of this season. I think it certainly looks like it was a terrific hire. What this team needed was somebody to come in who brought some gravitas, mm-hmm. right? Somebody who has a reputation as a guy who's gotten teams to the Stanley Cup Finals, which Elaine Vigneault has done twice during his coaching career, so that he could come in, and unlike Dave Haxtell, who's coming in from college, who some of these older players might not respect, Elaine Vigneault comes in, he's been to the Stanley Cup Finals. Claude Drew wants to win a Stanley Cup Final. Sean Couturier wants to win a Stanley Cup Final. Jake Voracek wants to win a Stanley Cup. So these guys, you know, they can look at a coach like Vigneault, same thing for the younger guys, and you've, you've got to treat him immediately with respect. What the Flyers needed was someone to come in and change the culture because this team had been used to getting off to slow starts. They're used to having 10-game winning streaks, 10-game losing streaks. They're this crazy, insane team that everyone around the, te- around the league knows. You just never know what you're going to get with the Philadelphia Flyers. And their system was broken. So they needed someone to come in, fix the system, get the attention of the players, and Vino is the, the perfect guy to do that. Here's the thing also that we talked about with Elaine Vino when he came in, was he reminded me so much of um, the character from Mad Men. I, we talked about this when he was first hired. Uh, what's, you know, the uh, the main character from Mad Men, Don Draper, 
John right, Hamm right. plays such a terrific character. You've got Don Draper, who's just this like always dressed immaculately, just smooth operator, always you know selling people on everything, knows what to say. When I see Elaine Vino, I think of Don Draper, and that's what you're talking about. He's always saying the right things. So I'm not surprised that Elaine Vino is always saying the right things. I want to see it translate into NHL success because I'm ex- I was expecting him to say the right thing. So I'm not surprised at that. And the beginning of the season is kind of going to tell the tale, and we'll see what happens with how he handles players as they get into the season. But for many reasons that we've both talked about, Elaine Vino was kind of the perfect head coaching hire for this franchise. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one thing to walk the walk, we have to talk the talk. And what kind of sold me on Vino is last weekend, they needed, I think, what do they need? They needed to cut the roster down to a certain number by Monday. And he, you know, he saw the way the team had been playing in the preseason games. And again, it's not the result of preseason games that matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter if you win the game, if you lose the game, if there's a tie or whatever. What matters is the process it takes to get to that result. And the Flyers were playing just bad hockey in these preseason games. And you see people just, you know, the, the easy the easy explanation is, well, it's just preseason, it doesn't matter. Well, no. If you... If you play that way in preseason, it's going to carry over into the regular season. And Vino saw that, and he saw a bunch of guys that weren't that. No matter what they did, were not going to make this hockey team. So we got rid of them early because he saw the importance of giving guys that had a real chance to make it, and the guys that were locks, your veterans, your core guys that are going to be on this team no matter what. He saw a chance to give them more ice time in game situation to get them where they need to be because he didn't like what he saw. And that's the best thing I think that I have heard a Flyers coach doing, and I don't even know how long. That's probably the best thing a Flyers coach has done since Peter Laviolette put Claude Giroux on the ice against the Penguins in a clinching game. I mean, and it's it may be such a small thing, but when you think about it, he just, you know, in a politically correct world where it's, well, you know, we have time. We don't have to cut these players now. Why would we? He's thinking, well, no, why wouldn't we? We're not going to keep this guy, whether it's today or whether it's Monday. So let's just do it now and get the guys that matter, get the guys that are going to be here in October trying to win us games as much practice and as much ice time as they can possibly have right now. And that's what sold me. And then even the video that came out for this special last night, uh, talking about Carter Hart. Look, Carter Hart is without question the number one goalie on this team. And he even said, well, no, he's not given anything. There's still competition in camp. You know, someone can, you know, if someone plays better than them, they're going to play, which obviously is not going to happen. But just even saying that is impressive to me. Yeah. You know, the thing that I loved was he was kind of looking at, he had a quote and it, it made me think about, things that I'd never really thought about during the NHL preseason. Because most teams play their star players, you know, maybe half of the preseason games. And he came out and he was like, hey, you know what? We didn't make the playoffs last year. Our star players don't have a lot of playoff mileage on their legs. We're going to play them more this preseason. Because yes. I need I need these guys to get up to speed. So, you know, and in, in, included in that is basically kind of like a shot saying like, hey guys, you know, you guys haven't done well in the playoffs, didn't even make them last season. I'm working your asses off yes. this year during the preseason. You're going to play in a lot of games, and come hell or high water, 
I'm going to mold you into the kind of team that I want you to be early in the season. And you know what? I need to see Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes and JVR and Voracek. I need to see you guys busting everything you've got in the preseason because that's where we set the tone for the post for the uh, regular season. It's almost like he busted the door down and just said, like, who do you people think you are? Like, what do you think you've earned? I don't think you, like, it's like he just, it's like a light bulb went off. He's like, wait a minute, this team didn't make the playoffs. I don't know, like, they're not, they haven't earned anything. They haven't earned days off in the preseason. They need to, this is the hard, this is where the hard work begins. And you can't take it, and this is the problem in the NFL, which is a whole different, a whole different situation, but. So we're we're living in this society now in sports where preseason people put have put have taken such little stock in preseason that it just doesn't like the athletes and the organizations don't care about it and you see it trickle over into the regular season. And hey Dan, I don't can't I can't believe it. And I hope this isn't I hope this isn't Chip Kelly because Chip Kelly came in with the Eagles and said all of the right things and everybody bought in and you saw how that went. So I hope we don't. I hope this guy doesn't break our hearts because I am not prepared for that one bit. I here's the thing: when Elaine Vigne was coaching every other team, when he was with Vancouver, when he was with Montreal, and it was with the Rangers specifically because we see those teams more than Vancouver. I hated him. I hated the look of his face. He was a hate the face guy for me. And now I, I I'm head over heels for this coach. <laughs> I am head over heels in love with this guy. Well, he's not going to be a Chip Kelly because Chip Kelly's never had any success in the NFL. And, and Chip Kelly's undoing was that he just could never adapt from college to the NFL. He so can't even come from college now. Yeah, so we already know that Elaine Vigneault, you know, he's gotten two teams to the Stanley Cup Finals. So he clearly knows how to do that. So I wouldn't be concerned, you know. I, the thing I would just be concerned about is that I, he's the places he's been, he's had an elite goaltender. You know, he had Roberto Longo early on in Vancouver, and he had Henry Lundquist in New York. And so he's been reliant on – his systems are very reliant on very good goaltending. So you just have to worry about Carter Hart taking a step back and Brian yeah. Elliott not being great this season. But if if this – the key the key is always – you know, I was on um, the, uh, the D.C.-based podcast that covers the Capitals at, at Chirpin DMV. They had me on this week. And they, they were asking me, what what are the outcomes for the Flyers, the potential outcomes? And I said, the Flyers could win the division or the Flyers could miss the playoffs. And to me, it all, it literally all comes down to Carter Hart because yeah. he has the potential to be an elite NHL starting goaltender or he could really take a step back in the second season. So this team's outcome, I believe, rides on Carter Hart for the most part this year. Yeah, I mean, it certainly does. You saw the? Did you see the the video of uh, after? I think it was the Bruins game. The, it was Elaine Vino leaving the bench and kind of lipping to uh, looked like Mike Yo. Just said you can't win with goaltending like that. I mean, that's. I, I think it was you can't win with goaltending or something. Right like that. now, I have to yeah. edit that out. Yeah, I know that <laughs> now. Go. We're not allowed to say that now with the podcast network. Well, you know, it work. was a quote from our coach, so it was. I, I that's true. Let, I think they'll leave. Let us let it slide. Yeah, that's right. All right. Um, a little disappointed on the listener questions. Yeah, only one listener question. What's up I with think that? that? You know what? I think it's funny. I think during the season, a lot of the time, there's fewer questions than we get uh, during the off season. I think people have a lot of different questions coming during the off season. I got to go in and see what the you have the question uh, queued up. 
I could get it. So you're saying the listeners are in mid-season form already. By the way, while we were on the air, I started a poll about who would have more NHL points, Nolan Patrick or Morgan Frost. We've already got 100 votes on it. 69% say Morgan Frost, 31% say Nolan Patrick, and I would also go with Morgan Frost. But go and vote on the poll. I put it up there. Uh, All right, let's see. Question time. Yeah, only one question. So it's a good one. It's a good one. They said uh, Burt Macklin at EJC Hockey 8. Yeah, Burt. Burt. Just conveys, you know, real manliness. <laughs> yeah, that's a man it's like right Chuck, Chuck Burt. Burt. He says, why would they consider starting Haig over Myers? Left-handed D versus right-handed D matchups, or they just think Haig is better? I think that it just goes along with this whole thing that NHL coaches and GMs have, that young guys who have not been in the NHL for a, a whole number of games have, have got to prove it, that they're worthy of a spot. Whereas guys who have already been in the NHL don't have to prove it, which I think is BS, personally. So I think the way they're looking at it is, I don't think anyone could look at Haig and Myers and say that Haig is a better hockey player. Phil Myers is clearly a better hockey player than Robert Haig. But I think the way they're looking at it is, is that Myers has had a fairly inconsistent preseason, and they feel that giving him the starting job over Haig isn't something that they should do unless Myers really proves that he deserves it, even though he is a better player than Haig. And the whole thing's nonsense. I mean, if you want to have the best chance of winning, you have Phil Myers in the lineup over Robert Haig. But that's, I don't think they think Haig is better. I think they want to see Myers, quote-unquote, earn it. Yeah, I mean, Myers hasn't had a particularly stellar preseason. Um, And look, it's not going to take it's not going to take very long for this coaching staff to figure out that Phil Myers. I mean, if they haven't already, I mean, it could be like a motivating factor, maybe you know, because Myers could have just thought maybe that he was a lock, and maybe they kind of see that in him, and they're trying to just knock him down a few pegs. Um, yeah, I, I think ultimately they're going to just realize that who gives them the best chance to win is. Phil Myers, and eventually, you know, Robert Haig, you know, you can only be a one-trick pony and hit people so many times before, you know, people are going to start to expect other things out of you, so sooner or later, Phil Myers is just going to take the reins of this thing and knock, you know, Robert Haig back down to the press, or back up to the press box, however you want to look at it, but yeah, I mean, it could be motivation, it could be them trying to make him earn it, but Phil Myers is far and away the better hockey player, and it's going to come. I mean, he's going to crack the lineup over Robert Haig eventually, and he's probably not going to give it back up. So whatever the reasoning is, um, I don't think it's matchups or anything like that because there's no matchup that Robert Haig is better than Phil Myers as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I mean, look at you. See, we get nothing going on with with fan interaction, and you put out one poll, and now my Twitter's blowing up. How do you like that? Well, you know. That's 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 how we, the people want to vote on things, you know. It's an, actually a pretty interesting question because I one person already responded, "Oh, well, Nolan Patrick's gonna be a better all-around player." I guess they might have voted for Frost. Frost is gonna get more points, but Nolan Patrick was a higher point producer his draft year by far than Morgan Frost was. So I agree, Morgan Frost is gonna be a better point producer in the NHL, but Nolan Patrick was a big-time point producer in the Canadian Junior Leagues. And so there's there's no excuse for him not producing in the NHL. 
I agree. I mean, you don't get you don't get taken second overall for having you know the rosiest cheeks in the draft. So he was obviously a good player in juniors. There's a reason that he was taken second overall. He's just I don't know why he hasn't found that you know that fire. Why he hasn't found that game in the pros? But this is as far like I said it, and uh, you know I'll say it again. This is as make or break a season that I think any player has had in a long time. This season will tell you literally everything you need to know about what the flyer about Nolan Patrick and what the Flyers do with him, as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, everything, all the answers will be answered in time. Well, Dan, it, now. This is your favorite part of the show, and it is your shameless plug where the people can find you and where they can find this excellent poll that you've just put out. So fans can find me on Twitter at DSilver88. The 88 is for Eric Lindros, the uh, biggest freak of an athlete that ever put on the orange and black. So at DSilver88 on Twitter, and then you can find some of my prospect articles over at www.phillyisflyer.com Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark Flagman. That's with two ends. Maybe one day on the show I'll tell you where the Flagman name came from. Um, I hope the statute of limitations is up on that. Um, but you can follow me at uh, Mark Flagman. Two ends. You can follow this show at underscore getting bullied. Follow the mothership. Uh, depending, oh, there's two motherships. Like, follow at Philly is Flyer on Twitter and at HockeyPodNet on Twitter as well. You can catch a new series I'll be doing at Phileas Flyer this year called Recliner Thoughts. It's just the stuff I think about when I'm sitting in my recliner. Uh, so for that, I'll have a review of episode one of Behind the Glass on NHL Network coming your way tomorrow. So, um, you know, next week we'll be doing our season preview as the Flyers kick off their season October 4th in Prague against the Blackhawks so look for that and until that time um, everybody have a great life and let's go Flyers